Good morning, everyone. Hasn't it been good to be in the presence of the Lord as we've worshiped Him this morning? Thank you, worship team. Great job. And uh, obvious why you called these three pastors. Their wives could all sing uh, wonderfully. So, uh, so good to be with you uh, today. And want to say thank you. Uh, First Alliance Sakoa, thank you for your generous giving to the Great Commission Fund that helps Christian Missionary Alliance do what it does all over this world. And uh, I looked again yesterday at your uh, giving numbers and just said, wow, uh, great job, thank you so much. And if every church did what you did, well, uh, we, we would have uh, far more resources to do uh, what, we, uh, what we do. So thank you so much. Uh, Ruth and I, my wife Ruth, wave your arm Ruth, uh, part of this uh, church when we were uh, going to uh, Tacoa Falls College uh, years ago, more years ago than we'd like to admit, and uh, uh, my mom and dad, yeah, Dale and Kay Smith, were here from 1998 to 2010, part of this church. We visited uh, frequently then, so so appreciate this uh, uh, church family and uh, the way God is at work here, and thank you, Pastor Brian, for yielding to constituted authority and uh, allowing me to uh, preach this morning. I count on borrowed pulpits these days and uh, appreciate the opportunity. A few weeks ago, uh, Ruth and I were in the garage of our uh, new house, national office, moving from Colorado to Ohio. We've made that move. And uh, we were putting up some pegboard for the yard tools, and she was holding the board, and, and I was nailing it to the two-by-fours when I missed the nail and whacked my thumb. And I danced around a little bit and waved my hand in the air, but said no inappropriate words. And I looked at Ruth and Riley said, now you know I'm sanctified. <laughs> well, what does it really mean to be sanctified? How do we enter in and stay engaged with the sanctifying work of the Spirit uh, in our lives? As we try to understand more fully the, the deeper life teaching of the New Testament, I want us to look this morning at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living and now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we uh, told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to a holy life. And therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, this instruction about sanctification, does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. 
And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will would not be dependent on anybody. So first, as we're looking at those verses, we ask the question, what is sanctification? And you'll note in our passage the word sanctified in verse 3 and the word holy in verse uh, 4 and then again in verse 7. And these are all slightly different forms of the same Greek root word hagias, which has to do with being holy. So we understand that sanctification is the process whereby we are enabled to live holy lives. We pick up here and in many places in the Bible that the Lord does not save us just to leave us in the same sinful lifestyle. Yes, he saves us to forgive us from the guilt of sin, but he also saves us to begin to transform us so that we don't go on living under the power of sin. He saves us in order to begin this lifelong sanctifying work in us whereby we are made progressively more holy, progressively more like Jesus. The Greek word in verse 3 is hagiasmos, which carries the idea of being set apart or being consecrated. It has to do with being solely dedicated to God for his use and for his purpose. I'll give you a practical example of this. Ruth and I have different opinions of what the scissors in the house should be used for. If I need to cut cardboard or rope or maybe even just a little snip of tin, I look for the scissors. But Ruth says don't use the scissors for that. She wants them to be set apart for the purpose to which they were made. And God wants us to be set apart to him for the purpose for which he made us. This word sanctification also carries the idea of being filled. So what we set apart to God, he comes and fills with his Holy Spirit. A.B. Simpson, our founder, highlights this in his book, Holy Sanctified. He says this, sanctify means to fill. The literal translation of the old Hebrew uh, word to consecrate is to fill the hand. It suggests the deepest truth in connection with sanctification that Christ himself must be uh, the substance and supply of our spiritual life and fills us with his own spirit and holiness. After the most sincere consecration, we are but an empty possibility which he must make real. So in sanctification, we set ourselves apart to God and he fills us with his Holy Spirit and gives us the power then to live the sanctified life. You'll notice also from our text that sanctification is the will and call of God for the life of every believer. Paul says it clearly in verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And verse 7 indicates that holy living is God's call on the life of every believer. 
In the alliance, we use verbiage around sanctification like deeper life. I've heard higher life. And some might conclude from terms like that that the sanctified life is only for the spiritually elite, for pastors, for missionaries, for elders, for those who have been in the faith for a long time. But that is not the case at all. Sanctification is a vital truth and experience for all believers, no matter how long you've been in the faith or what title or office you may or may not hold. I want us to see uh, this morning, and we'll come back to these at the end of the message, I want us to see three aspects of sanctification that are all important for us uh, to understand. So first there is positional sanctification. And positional sanctification happens to us at the moment of salvation. That moment when we trust Jesus Christ to be our Savior. And in that moment, the holiness of Christ is granted to us and written on our record. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 talks about by this will... We have been sanctified, past tense, settled issue, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Positional sanctification. And then we talk about, in the alliance, the crisis experience of sanctification. At some time following salvation, the sooner the better, maybe four minutes, maybe four years, maybe 40 years, we come to realize that while we are saved and the Holy Spirit abides in us, we have been relying more on ourselves than we have been relying on the Spirit. And, and therefore, we find ourselves in this frustrating cycle of sin, confession, new resolve to do better, sin, confession, new resolve to do better, on and on, ad infinitum. In the crisis experience, you see, we come to the realization that we cannot do this and that we must allow the Holy Spirit to do so. This is the Romans 12.1 experience where those who are already believers are called to offer our bodies, our whole selves, as a living sacrifice. And then the next verse says uh, that as a result of that, we are no longer living conformed to this world, but we are living transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. While progressive sanctification, here's the third one, progressive sanctification has already been taking place in our lives to some degree from the time of salvation, from that moment we've trusted Christ, now following the crisis experience, that progressive aspect of sanctification is accelerated so that we're living in increased victory over sin, increased victory over the old nature, and we are being made progressively more like Jesus. This is the Galatians 5.16 experience where we continuously walk in the Spirit so that it says we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. There is an accelerated production of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we've had that crisis experience and now we're experiencing progressive sanctification. 
So that gives us some understanding of the theological uh, concepts of sanctification. And the second question I want us to ask is, how does sanctification happen in the life of the believer? Look at verse 8. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, this instruction about sanctification, anyone who rejects this sanctification does not reject a human being but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So experiential sanctification is not a simply an A.B. Simpson doctrine born out of his own life experience, as I've heard from time to time. It's not merely a, an alliance doctrine. No, it is what? It is a biblical doctrine revealed by God in his word. It is not humanly contrived, and it is not humanly produced. Sanctification, this process of being made holy or becoming more like Jesus, is not accomplished by our own human effort. It does not happen because we grit our teeth and try a little harder to do better. It is not accomplished by taking five steps to a better life. All of us have tried these things, tried to be better, tried to do better, only to repeatedly fail and become frustrated. It is the failure of our own efforts that bring us to this crisis experience of surrender where we yield ourselves fully to the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to do stuff in us that we could never do. In fact, we're kind of surprised by it. We're kind of surprised when we act the way we do and react the way we do because he's doing the work in us. Played golf with my son and a couple of friends on July 5th, and we made the turn uh, between nines and, and, and came to the par three tenth hole. And I stepped to the tee and hit my ball, only to see as it was coming down that I was hitting into the foursome in front of us who were gathered off to the left of the green and kind of out of my eyesight. They'd have been safe on the green with me hitting. But the ball landed right in front of them. And I felt bad about that violation of golf etiquette. And so I hopped in the golf cart and drove up to uh, apologize to them. And I value golf etiquette enough that I might possibly have done that just out of mere human initiative. But when I apologized and said that I hadn't seen them, one of the guys popped back at me and suggested that it was impossible that I hadn't seen them and that perhaps I needed to see an eye doctor. And I can assure you that that's where human effort would have broken down, okay? I would have pronounced an Old Testament curse on that man. May you get a triple bogey on every hole the rest of the way and may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your golf bag. But in that moment, much to my surprise, the Holy Spirit gave me the outside of myself ability to say, well, I'm very sorry, and all I can do is apologize. And I turned the cart around and drove back to the tee. And, and I'm guessing you can relate to that. I, I'm guessing you, you've had some situation you faced where... By the Spirit's power and control, 
you did the right thing and you were kind of surprised by it and absolutely knew in that moment it was not you, it was the Holy Spirit working in power in your life. So the point is, sanctification is not the result of our own human effort. It is divinely revealed doctrine that involves the work of the Spirit in us. Again, verse 8, if we reject this doctrine, we are not rejecting anything human. Rather, we are rejecting the, the Holy Spirit whom God has provided for us for the very purpose of doing this sanctifying work in us, the very God, it says, who gives you his Holy Spirit. And we're reminded by that, that the Holy Spirit resides in every believer. Romans chapter 8 verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. It's impossible to know Christ, to be in Christ, and not have the Holy Spirit residing in us. Believer, the third person of the triune Godhead lives in you. Do not believe for a minute that living a successful Christian life is left up to your own strength and effort. God knew that would never work. And so he has given us his Holy Spirit. More than just residing us in us, the Holy Spirit desires to fill every believer. Ephesians 5.18, command of God for every believer, be filled, continuous tense, keep on being filled with the Spirit. To be filled is to be immersed in and under the control of the Holy Spirit so that he's uh, leading us, and he's provided the needed power to overcome the sinful attitudes, words, thoughts, behaviors that we might find ourselves easily engaging in. Through his sanctifying presence in our lives, the Holy Spirit does in us and for us what we could never do for ourselves. Third question, what difference will the sanctifying work of the Spirit make in our lives. So we, we begin with the truth that the Spirit transforms our conduct and behavior. Paul lays out here in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 a very practical list of the results of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He says first that the Holy Spirit enables us to control our bodies so that we avoid sexual immorality. Verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? He says what it means, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in, in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So as Christians... Be reminded that none of us is exempt from sexual temptation or falling into sin. Pastors fall, elders fall, church members fall. And we are especially vulnerable because we live in a sex-saturated culture. The cesspool of sexual misbehavior is out there calling to all of us, but we are not to give in to this passionate lust. We're to be distinct 
from the pagan culture that surrounds us rather than participating in that culture. I remember as a young teenager being with an older friend who stole some sexually explicit material uh, from a bookstore and, and scared me half to death because I was just sure we were going to get caught. And in fact, he did get caught later. But now you see, with the internet piping all kinds of things into our devices, the public risk of acquiring such material is a thing of the past. And according to the surveys that we read, too many believers are caught up in regular exposure and even addiction to pornography. And let's just say it, pornography is destructive in and of itself, but it is also like the gateway drug to sexual misbehavior. It breaks down a person's resistance and makes it an easier step to actually get involved with another person in an inappropriate and immoral way. And with a crowd this size in the room, let me just say I suspect that some of you are struggling with this issue. And you're in the repeated guilt confession cycle and have been there for so long that you are extremely frustrated with yourself, feeling like there is no answer and no hope. So how do we learn to control our own bodies in a way that is holy and honorable, as Paul puts it here? Such self-control comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in us and not through our human efforts or self-discipline. Again, Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. And then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We walk by the Spirit and allow Him to lead us through our daily surrender to His control. He will use the Word of God that He inspired to, to guide our lives. And, and He will give us this Spirit-controlled conscience that clearly understands right from wrong and the power to choose the right. When we call on the Spirit of God, He will exercise His power on our behalf. Read a little further in Galatians 5, and we find that self-control is among the fruit of the Spirit. It is in surrendering to the Spirit and learning to draw on His power that we are able to practice the kind of self-control that enables us to, come, to overcome immoral behavior, overcome out-of-control anger issues, uh, overcome uh, eating issues, whatever it may be. So the Spirit empowers us to practice self-control, especially in this area of sexual immorality that is so rampant in our culture. Next, as he does his sanctifying work in us, the Spirit impacts relationships so that we love one another. Verse 6 begins to talk about relationships and does so in a very specific way that we'll come back to. But generally, the verse is talking about behaving properly in relationships. And verse 9 then sets this into the context of love for one another. So we're right back to that list in Galatians 5, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love involves always preferring the other person over myself. 
It is the Holy Spirit who pours this kind of love into our hearts. Whether we're talking about conflicts in marriages or conflicts in churches or conflicts in other kinds of relationships, the major issue is whether we're operating in the flesh, in the old sin nature, or operating in the Spirit and His power as we respond and react to one another. I've worked with churches that have been engaged in spirit-grieving, spirit-quenching conflict for years and even decades because people aren't walking in the Spirit, aren't living in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit. The same can be said for marriages, uh, other family relationships where there's been division, conflict, tension for long periods of time. And we cannot just, again, grit our teeth and will our way into better interpersonal behavior. No, only through the work of the Spirit can we begin to do like Jesus would do, preferring the other person, preferring our brothers and sisters, preferring our spouse, and begin to respond and react in ways that build up that person and at the same time honor Christ. The sanctifying work of the Spirit will enable us to live in love and unity. And then there's an outworking of that. Back to verse 6. The Spirit reigns us in so that we do not use people for our own purposes. Back to verse 6 and what it specifically addresses regarding relationships. Remember, he's talking about this whole context of sexual immorality. And then he says that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So it's really addressing this this issue that we've come to know as spiritual abuse or abuse of trust, where we try to leverage our authority and power as a man, as an adult, as a leader, to take advantage of a brother or sister often involving sexual immorality. And the verse is very clear, isn't it, that this kind of behavior is not acceptable and the Lord's going to deal with it in no uncertain terms. In recent years, we have have been grieved by a number of high-profile cases of spiritual abuse, often but not always involving sexually immoral behavior. And, And right now, we are seeing a spike in spiritual abuse accusations. And and where these kinds of things are happening, why? Why are they happening? It's a result of behavior out from under the control of the Holy Spirit. Behavior that is looking for what I can get out of my position, not how I can serve other people. This is especially grievous when it involves sexual abuse, but it is grievous when it involves our positions being used in any way that is abusive whatsoever. As I recently read, failure in ministry is not typically because of our inability to handle doctrine. It is because of our inability to handle power. Another fruit of the Spirit is gentleness or meekness. And some commentators have defined the Greek word meekness as meaning not weakness, but power under control. Allowing the Spirit to control us will keep us from trying to control people, will keep us from trying to use our leadership or any position we may have, any position of authority and power to take advantage of other people. 
The fourth thing we see, as he does his sanctifying work in us, the Spirit enables us to live and work in a way that contributes to the community. Notice verse 11, and to make it your ambition to lead a, what, quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as he told you. So keep in mind that the writer and the original readers of these words were carrying out their lives in a political environment that was very unfavorable to their Christian faith and mission. And yet the instruction to Christians was to, what, lead a quiet life and stay focused on what you're supposed to be doing. So think about the last one first. When it comes to excellence and work ethic in the marketplace, Christians should be at the top of the list. We are the ones who shouldn't be failing to pull our own load. We shouldn't be the ones who are complaining about everything. Because if we're failing to pull our load, if we're complainers, then our witness for Christ is tainted. Take it a step further. It's fine. In fact, it's our responsibility to vote and be political, politically active, uh, to seek to bring a Christian influence to our community, state, and nation. But when we get loud and obnoxious about it, we cross a line where we're trying to control things ourselves rather than living under the control of the Holy Spirit. We're trying to exercise our own power while tying it to Jesus' name rather than trusting the power of the Spirit to enable us to carry out the true mission of Jesus, which is all about advancing Christ's kingdom, all about the gospel. The sanctifying work of the Spirit will enable us to be purveyors of what? Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These character traits developed in us by the sanctifying work of the Spirit will not lessen our influence on the culture, but will increase it. Just briefly, I want you to see along with this, these behavioral issues that the Spirit empowers our witness for Christ. And these two are tied inseparably together. But I want you to see that he, the Spirit of God, empowers our daily lives so that, verse 12, we win the respect of outsiders. When we think of the Spirit's empowerment of our witness and mission for Christ, our minds easily run to some dramatic supernatural manifestation of power, and we still believe in that in the alliance. And I would even say in the cultural context that we're doing ministry in the United States today, we, we may need some more of that. We may need to pray for some of that. But along with that, when the Spirit works in us to develop all the things that we've just talked about, sexual purity, relationships permeated by love, leadership that influence, influences but does not manipulate or abuse in any way, Christians acting as good citizens and doing well in the marketplace. There is power in all of that as well. And it's through the day-to-day -day exercise of these things that stand in stark contrast to the ways of the world around us that we will win the respect of outsiders and our witness for Christ is empowered with credibility and the ears of unbelievers are opened to the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. Chris is coming. It's going to start playing. As we begin to think about response, what's God want to do in your heart this morning? I want to go back to those three aspects of sanctification and ask yourself prayerfully, what is my need in relation to this important biblical doctrine? We talked about positional sanctification. I wonder this morning, has the enemy convinced you that you are a worthless sinner who cannot help yourself at falling regularly into sinful behavior? No, no, no. You are sanctified through Christ's sacrifice. God sees you as holy through Christ. And the Spirit will empower you to live out the position that you've been given so that you are enabled to live in victory. This morning is to say, I'm no longer going to believe the lies of the enemy. The crisis experience of sanctification. You know you're saved this morning. You know you're forgiven. You know you're on your way to heaven. But you have to admit that you're living a defeated Christian life. No matter how, how hard you try or how many try, times you've tried to do better, it just isn't working. Has there ever been a time since your salvation experience where you admitted your inability and then just fully surrendered your life to the Lord so that His Holy Spirit can come and fill you. If you've never done that today, this morning, is the time you can do that. Progressive sanctification. You can point to that Romans 12:1 experience, but you know you've taken back control of some specific area of your life so that it is not pleasing to the Lord. If that's you, today's call is to come back to that place of full surrender a fresh experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit who can do in you and for you and through you what you can never do yourself. And I'll add a fourth category that may be you. You don't know which column to put it in. All you know this morning is that you need a fresh outpouring and infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Would you bow with me in prayer as we seek to respond to the Spirit's voice speaking to us? I'd love to include you in a closing uh, prayer. If God's spoken to you this morning and you know you need to take steps to either say, fill me afresh or fill me for the first time, Holy Spirit. Would you just lift up your hand this morning? Anyone at all? Yes. Yes. Several of you around the congregation thank you anyone else just before we pray God's speaking to you father we come in Jesus name this morning thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit thank you that you haven't left us on our own you see every hand lifted you see every heart connected to those hands you know the exact need and Spirit of God, I pray that you would do what's needed in those lives. I pray that you would come and fill people right now. Fill us afresh, Lord Jesus. Some need a first time filling. Lord, do that, we pray. And bring new power and new victory. So that Jesus is more and more seen through our lives. We yield to you, precious Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.